Tonight, I want to take us on a journey through the darkest day in the history of the world. Friday, April 3rd, 33 A.D. It all started out as Tuesday night gave way to the wee hours of Friday morning. After sharing the, the Passover meal, Jesus gathered his remaining 11 disciples and took them to the Mount of Olives, a hill overlooking the city of Jerusalem. It was a, a breathtaking vista that provided a, a sweeping view of the city, a view that looked directly down upon the magnificence of the Jewish temple. And it would be there that Jesus tells eight of those 11 disciples to wait while he takes his closest followers, Peter, James, and John, a short distance away into a small garden called Gethsemane. And there in the garden, Jesus tells a, a weary Peter, James, and John to keep watch while he goes a, a stone's throw away uh, in order to pray. Now alone in the quiet of the garden, Jesus falls to his knees and pours out his heart in prayer to his heavenly Father, beseeching the, the Almighty to somehow spare him from the agony of the cross that awaits him. And as Jesus perseveres in prayer, Peter, James, and John succumb to sleep. And after a time of, of passionate prayer, Jesus arises from his knees, returns to his friends, and, and finds them fast asleep. He, he scolds them for their faithfulness uh, or their faithlessness in, in order to keep watch for him. And then he returns to pray. But his disciples, they fail him not once, they fail him not twice. But three times, Jesus returns from prayer and finds his friends fast asleep. Now, isn't that like many of us? Like his disciples, uh, we love Jesus. We, we want to be with Jesus. We, we promise that we will be faithful to Jesus, but we fail him time and time again, both in our actions and also in our inactions. Yet despite his friend's failure, and despite my failure, and despite your failure, the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy that if we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. By now, it's approximately 2 in the morning. And the silence and the darkness of the garden are shattered by an armed contingent of, of men brandishing swords and torches, led by Jesus' friend turned betrayer, Judas. The gospel writer Mark describes it this way. And immediately, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him and they laid hands on him and seized him. 
But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. My friends, evil takes many forms. In the garden, evil takes the form of a crowd led by a trusted friend named Judas, who is now a betrayer. And Judas's kiss, a kiss that once symbolized friendship, now becomes the mark of treachery. And that is how evil works. Evil is treasonous, loyal only to itself. It disguises itself in love, in friendship, in, in, in compassion, but, but it is merely playing a role, doing nothing more than pretending. It simply wants something for itself and is willing to do anything to get it. That was Judas, a man whose name would become synonymous with betrayal. But Judas wasn't the lone betrayer in the garden In that dark morning, he was joined by 11 other men with whom Jesus had just spent the last three years. They were his disciples, his most trusted friends, who the gospel writer Mark tells us left Jesus and fled. You see, betrayal isn't always driven by greed. Sometimes betrayal is driven by fear. Fear that places the protection of one's own life over the well-being of others. Fear that, that cowardly flees rather than courageously stands. And sadly, many of us have been betrayed. We have experienced firsthand the betrayal of a spouse or a former friend, or perhaps a co-worker. And equally tragic, some of us have been the betrayer. We have worn the mask of friendship only to offer the kiss of betrayal. And regardless of its source, be it greed or fear or betrayal, It is ultimately evil, but it is not alone. Now, it doesn't take long to get from the Mount of Olives to the palace of the Jewish high priest Caiaphas. As Jesus and his captors arrive at Caiaphas's two-story mansion, they immediately encounter Caiaphas's father-in-law, Annas, the former high priest. And with Jesus uh, standing before him, bound and surrounded by the temple guard, Annas questions Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching, to which Jesus responds, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, 
why do you strike me? And with that, Annas dismisses Jesus and sends him to to Caiaphas, who is waiting for Jesus inside the palace with the entirety of the Sanhedrin. By this time, it it would have been about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, and the gospel writer Mark declares uh, what happens next. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in their midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of God seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Now the Sanhedrin consisted of 71 of the most powerful religious leaders who were granted limited authority by the Roman occupiers over certain religious, civil, and criminal matters. They were supposed to be a court of of godly men committed to the just application of the Jewish law. But in reality, what most of them really cared about was preserving their own power. So much so that they entertained false witnesses against Jesus. They mocked him. They spat upon him. They, They hit him. And if that was not enough, they allowed the temple guards to do the same. You see, before the Sanhedrin, evil now takes the form of religious injustice. Those who were tasked by God to be his representatives, those who led worship in the temple, those who offered sacrifices on on behalf of the people, those who prayed eloquent prayers, those who were called to be paragons of of biblical justice, instead were power-hungry frauds and hypocrites. And we get this because we have seen religious injustice in action. We see churches that turn a blind eye to the societal exploitation of the poor and the weak and the vulnerable. We learn of pastors who pursue personal gain from the sacrificial gifts that have been contributed by the faithful. We hear stories of of church leaders who abuse women and children, the very women and children who have placed their trust in them. But it's not always the leaders. Sometimes it's the people in the pews themselves 
who as a result of their own sin unjustly treat the very pastors and church leaders that God has put in place to lead and serve and care for them. Now ultimately, religious injustice is only satisfied with complete destruction. And so it was in Jesus' case. After the false witnesses, after the mocking and the physical abuse, the religious authorities, they condemn Jesus to death. But they had a problem. They didn't have the the authority to carry out their own death sentence. Their power was limited by their Roman overlords. And so in order to ensure that Jesus would be executed, more evil was necessary. The evil of governmental injustice. If Jesus was going to die, he was going to have to die at the hands of the Romans. So sometime around 6 a.m. on Friday morning, the Jewish religious leaders brought Jesus before Pilate, who was the governor of the region of Judea. Luke picks up the story here. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. You see, before Pilate, the the Jewish religious authorities, they continue to lie about Jesus. But Pilate finds their their accusations unconvincing. And, And he declares Jesus not guilty. However, evil is not so easily stopped. And the Jewish leaders, they persist looking for a political way out. Pilate finds it when he hears the word Galilee. You see, although the the region of Galilee was under the ultimate control of Pilate, it had its own Roman governor, a man by the name of Herod. So Pilate sends Jesus off to Herod. He allows Jesus and the Jews to be Herod's problem. Luke continues, when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. You see, before Herod, the injustice and the abuse continues. But this time, its source is governmental. Herod and his minions treat Jesus with contempt. They mock him. Uh, They dress him like a king, and then they return him to Pilate. And once again, before Pilate, the Jewish leaders, they, they press and press and press 
for crucifixion. And unconvinced of Jesus' guilt, Pilate continues to scramble looking for some type of, of political escape. Mark picks up the story here. Now at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the, Jew, uh, that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with a man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, Crucify him! And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now notice verse 10. For Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. Isn't that amazing? The most powerful man in all of Judea believed that Jesus was innocent, and yet he does nothing. Instead, he bows to the will of the Jewish religious leaders and the people that they have riled up. And the evil of government injustice prevails. You see, governmental injustice, it condemns the innocent. It rewards the powerful. It seeks to please the masses at the expense of truth. But most of all, it relentlessly pursues self-preservation above all else. If an innocent man has to die in order to preserve Pilate's power, then so be it. That, brothers and sisters, is the evil of governmental injustice. Think about that for a moment. In the span of just six hours, Jesus experienced the evil of betrayal the evil of religious injustice, and the evil of governmental injustice. Sometime before 8 a.m., Pilate turns Jesus over to the Roman soldiers. Mark tells us this. And the soldier led, soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. 
Jesus is brought into an open area. His hands are most likely chained to a post. Surrounding him is somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 Roman soldiers, brutal men renowned for their savagery. They tear the flesh from Jesus' body as they beat him with a a multi-lashed whip embedded with stones and metal barbs. They mockingly dress him in a purple cloak symbolizing the royalty of a king, and they mercilessly drive a, a, a crown of thorns into his skull. And all the while, they verbally ridicule him. And that is what evil does. It abuses both physically and emotionally. And many of us have experienced that firsthand. Now by 8.30 in the morning, we find Jesus dragging his cross on the way to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the site of the crucifixion. And by 9 a.m., Jesus is hanging on that cross. Mark tells us this, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so the chief priests with the scribes, they mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, yet he cannot save himself. Let Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. As Jesus hangs naked upon the cross, he is exposed to unrelenting public rejection and shame. Soldiers gamble for his clothes. The religious leaders continue to to taunt him. Two thieves hang alongside Jesus and they ridicule him. And countless people like you and me travel to Golgotha like vultures to a corpse. They're deafening silence, screaming complicity. For six hours... Minute by minute, breath by breath, Jesus' life slowly ebbs away. And all the while, evil rejoices. At noon, an unexpected eerie darkness envelops the land. Evil clearly has the upper hand. And for the next three hours, Jesus suffers in utter darkness. And then at 3 p.m., summoning all of his remaining strength, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And then shortly thereafter cries out, It is finished, and gives up his life. On that dark day, that which was foretold by the prophet Isaiah was fulfilled. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. On April 3rd, 33 A.D., Every form of evil was unleashed upon Jesus. The evil of betrayal, not only that of Judas, but also by the balance of his disciples. The twin evils of uh, religious and governmental injustice. The evil of physical and emotional abuse. And the evil of public rejection and shame. Jesus experienced them all. Truly, Jesus was rejected by man. Truly, Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted by grief. Can you imagine how horrific that must have been? At some level, many of us can. Many of us know what it's like to be selfishly betrayed by someone we thought loved us. Many of us know what it's like when our closest friends abandon us in our time of greatest need. Some of us have experienced religious injustice, having been spiritually wounded by the church and those who lead it. Others of us know the wounds of political injustice, having been mistreated due to the color of our skin, the accent of our voice, the level of our education, the contents of our bank account, or simply because of that which we believe or don't believe. And still others know the great pain of physical and emotional abuse. We bear the the physical scars of an angry parent or the emotional wounds of an abusive spouse. And perhaps all of us have experienced some level of public rejection and shame. Now hear me out. 
I'm not implying that the suffering that we have experienced in our lives can possibly be compared to the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross. But what I am saying is this, that Jesus can fully identify with the suffering that we have experienced because in the words of the prophet Isaiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. On that dark Good Friday, Jesus experienced all of the pain that has been inflicted upon us and oh so much more. And while that is amazing, let me tell you what is even more amazing. Not only uh, have many of us been on the receiving end of evil, sadly, some of us have been on the giving end. Some of us have been the betrayer of another. Some of us have been the reason why our marriage has failed or why our friendships have been destroyed. Some of us have meted out religious and governmental injustice or at a minimum simply turned a blind eye to it. Some of us have been in positions of power and we have exploited that power for our own gain at the expense of others. Some of us have been the the physical or the emotional abuser who have wounded our spouse with our tongues or our children with our hands. And some of us have been the one who rejects and heap shame. Make no mistake about it. We are the guilty party. We are the Judas who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We are the disciples who abandoned Jesus in his time of greatest need. We are the religious leaders who heaped injustice upon the Son of God. We are the political figures who caved to the screaming mob. We are the soldiers who mocked and taunted and physically abused an innocent man. We are the crowds who came to watch and enjoy his suffering. And we are the ones who ultimately drove the nails into his feet and his hands. We are the sheep who have gone astray. We're the ones who have turned our own way. It is our iniquity that was ultimately laid upon Jesus, and it was for us and because of us that Jesus suffered and died. And that is why we call it Good Friday.